Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that ponders on the issues of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we look at news stories with David Campbell, including General Motors to commercialise a self-driving car in 2019 without a steering wheel and without pedals. Recently, Tesla showed the world its new electric truck. It's outwardly different, but traditional truck design is a multifaceted activity. We speak to Christopher Hansen, Scania's Head of Styling and Industrial Design, who was in Australia recently. We reflect on the Lamborghini SUV, the Urus. And in our panel discussion with Alan Zervis, we take a humorous look at more quirky cars that were shown at the Geneva Motor Show. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. An Uber self-driving car has hit and killed a woman crossing a street in Arizona, making this the first time a self-driving car has killed a pedestrian and dealing a potential blow to autonomous driving technology. Uber said it was suspending North American tests of its self-driving vehicles, which have been going on for months in the Phoenix area, as well as in Pittsburgh, San Francisco and Toronto. The accident occurred when a woman was walking her bicycle near a pedestrian crossing when she was struck by the Uber vehicle travelling at about 65 kilometres per hour. The woman later died in hospital. The car was in autonomous mode with an operator behind the wheel and police were unsure whether it slowed down before the collision. Uber expressed condolences and said the company was working with local law enforcement agencies on the investigation. Tesla has confirmed that production of its Model 3 was suspended for four days in the last week of February to fix automation issues and address a manufacturing bottleneck. The US carmaker claims the production freeze will help it ramp up the number of cars it produces to 2,500 cars per week by the end of March. Before the factory stoppage, insiders had reported that Tesla employees were making batteries by hand in an attempt to meet demand. According to reports, battery partner Panasonic was forced to lend Tesla extra technicians to deal with the backlog. Tesla now says it will make 5,000 Model 3s per week by June and eventually 10,000 a week at its Californian facility, which is slowly beginning to fulfill an order bank that's thought to exceed 400,000 requests for the firm's entry-level vehicle. Uber, which has had its taxi license cancelled in the City of London, has pledged to hand over travel data to the Transport for London agency. Some see the move as a bid to appease the regulator that is currently considering whether to reinstate its licence in the UK's capital. The move follows a statement from London Transport suggesting that private hire firms should share their data. This is crucial for the body because it is under pressure to reduce traffic in the centre and improve air quality across the city. New research suggests that navigation apps may actually be making traffic conditions worse in some areas. Navigation apps like Google Maps, Waze and Apple Maps determine the speed of traffic using location data from people's phones. Then they send drivers on the fastest available route. 
If traffic is bad on the highway, they often send drivers onto quieter local roads. According to Alex Bayan, director of the Institute of Transportation Studies at the University of California, navigation apps might actually make for slower traffic. Routing people in the way that's best for them, Bayan says, doesn't mean that overall traffic is moving more efficiently. Washington, D.C. is the latest city to link its traffic system to cars equipped with vehicle-to-infrastructure, or V2i communication. Audi is the first automaker to include V2i technology on some of its vehicles, a critical step towards self-driving cars. Right now the benefits are not huge. On cars equipped with V2i, a display on the instrument panel will count down the seconds before the light turns green if you are waiting at an intersection that features V2i technology. However, in the future, when more cars equipped with V2i, they will be able to communicate back to the city's central traffic control system to identify traffic flow and bottlenecks. The city could use this data to reroute cars, adjust traffic light times, or make improvements with city planners. General Motors recently announced that it will put into production self-driving cars devoid of steering wheels and pedals in 2019. GM also said it planned to start a commercial service for the vehicles where the public would be able to hail a ride via an app. The car known as the Cruise AV, or Autonomous Vehicle, is based on the Chevrolet Bolt EV. GM is still waiting on federal approval to use the Cruise AV on public roads, which is much harder than for other self-driving cars because of the lack of a steering wheel and pedals. Prototypes, however, could escape this issue because they are still fitted with steering wheels and pedals. Should all go to plan, the cars will join a ride-sharing fleet, either operated by GM or a partner such as Lyft. This summer, the European Commission is offering 18-year-old European residents a free interrail ticket, a rail pass that permits travel across 30 countries for a month. With a budget of 12 million euro, the Commission plans to fund trips for 20 to 30,000 young people, with the possibility of more passes in the years to come. The cultural enrichment plan could potentially change young lives and maybe even revive the heyday of interrail travel in Europe. And that has been the news. Recently, Tesla showed the world its new electric truck. It looks different on the outside and inside the driver sits in the middle. It was a classic Tesla launch that seemed to say this is a whole new future and in a number of ways it is. But traditional truck companies have been continually developing their designs in the multifaceted nature of serving customers, looking after drivers and interacting with the community. At the recent launch of Scania's new range of vehicles, I spoke to Christopher Hansen, Scania's Head of Styling and Industrial Design, who came to Australia for the launch. You said in your launch that the first thing you looked at was the driver. Is that becoming bigger and is that a major component of this generational change? Yes, you can say the driver or the human. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, lot of parts involved in, in truck business. You have the driver, of course, mm. but you have the, the customers that could be the owner of the fleet and so. Mm. And then, then you have the, the people on the street okay. who, who uh, see this uh, Beast, I heard it's called, mm. and 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 then they, they also make some sort of estimation of it. So you have all, but the the most important for now it's absolutely the driver, of course. 
and you've increased the size there. I'll come back to the word beast in a moment, but yeah. you've increased the space for the driver, yeah. both in driving and sleeping, in, if that is the type of truck. Yes, we did. We moved the, the uh, driver seat forward, the possibility, and we make the, the instrument panel much, much thinner, so to say. The steering wheel, everything goes forward, and then, of course, you get more space in the back. But also you're talking about visibility for the driver. Yeah, yeah. Well, we lower the, the IP, we move the A-pillar backwards a bit, so when you sit in the front, it's, it's, the, the views is much better, both in, in, in size but also in, in height. And, so. and one interesting thing is that we did tests, research with driver, and we find out, I mean, a lot of concepts is made that you put the driver in the middle, uh, and said that is the best because it's a cool on the sketch. But to sit in the middle, you have long distance to the A-pillars, to the corners. You don't really know exactly where they are. So the, what we saw about this research was really, a, what do you say, a big job to do that, a lot of drivers. The more closely you put the driver to the, in our case, in, in Europe, in Sweden, is the left corner, in Australia it's the right corner. The better control uh, he or she do have of the vehicle. So it's the, it's the opposite. In the middle is the worst. Yeah. So if you sit close to one of the corners, you know exactly what the other corner is because you can feel the road uh, below. So that's interesting. So uh, we have heard that some competitors have done the opposite. They move the driver from the corner. And we move it to the corner. We get more space but also better control. Tesla, I think, has talked about that. Yeah. But also the electric car is given perhaps the opportunity that I thought might happen with other passenger cars of changing the shape a little, that we have a different drivetrain. Do you think electric vehicles would change your world significantly, not just because of the power plant, but because of what you can then do with the design? Yeah, it will. It will, but it will take time. And it's a lot of functionality that is basic. If you see, you look at the Tesla semi, I think it's called, and mm. the, 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 the truck idea, uh, it's not that different. It's a little bit more roundish and so, but still it's a window on the same height as normal. You have a door on the side, you have to walk. What is the difference? Mm. I mean, we could almost do that design on our truck if we wanted. Uh, so, so to say that this, that truck is typically different because it's electric, it's not. Mm. It looks like a more aerodynamic shaped truck. So, and, and I think that is made of because you need, still need some, some area for the batteries and some of the functionalities, heating, cooling and so. And then you need to have a good place for the control of the vehicle. So, uh, and, and they put the driver in the middle. And he said that when he presented, partly because it's cool. This is cool vehicle and so. But also he relies very much on, on sensors and so. And of course, if you build up the vehicle just by this kind of, of, of um, what do you say, uh, controlling system, then maybe you don't have to sit in the corner. Uh, but uh, until we are there and we till the, it's, it's uh, possible to have the autonomous driving on normal roads, it's better to sit in the corner, I'm sure. I mean, uh, sitting there in the Tesla, uh, yeah, mm, we will see. <laughs> <laughs> 
You mentioned the word beast. In many ways, there's now this environmental sustainable issue. Is there an image there as well, isn't there, that you don't want to see the truck almost in the cowboy big sort of thing. You want to see it pleasant both for potential customers but also for the public? Yeah, but, but the, it's funny. Since I started at Scone, I got this question. Oh, the next truck you will do, will you make it very soft and look nice? And so, Yeah, but it's a little bit strange. If you come, you're standing in a on a roadside and there's a vehicle coming and it looks like a friendly you know little uh, hello I'm the truck it's okay then you want to pass the, the road because you think that's cool and then come 60 or in, in, in Australia 200 tons they can't stop and you just oh. so it's better I think that you you understand when you look at it okay be a little bit careful this is big it's heavy but it shouldn't look aggressive it shouldn't look mean it look like a good beast, but you have to know it's a beast. It's mm. extremely heavy. So it's the same, a little bit same with, with the car design uh, and with electric cars. That some years ago, everyone who designed electric cars made them very softish and a little bit funny and so. And then the Tesla come that looks almost a normal limousine, a sports car, kind of car. And people say, oh, we love this. But it just looked like a normal car. There's nothing electric with that one. So it's the same with the trucks. I, I don't think the, that will change that suddenly you get the trucks that look like small babies. Why should they? Evelyn Moore wrote a book where he talked of a lady who dressed in fairly severe tones and said she dressed to inform, not to attract. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> Could be, that, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My issue from a traffic engineering point of view is communicating the information. So there can be a lot of good information, but it might not be helpful if it's distracting. Yeah. If it buzzes and you don't know what it is, that, is that got to be taken into account? Oh, it's already, I mean, in, in, in Scania, we're absolutely keen on to bring the warnings in a way that you don't get, um, what's say, bored out of too much information yes. so you, and you can talk, talk about active safety and passive safety mm. and how much should be put on the driver and how much should be put on, on the vehicle to do it by themselves it's, mm. it's a tricky question it's uh, uh, I think we discussed it yesterday but but nowadays with modern cars you have so much sensors already there and signals uh, and and what I heard also in trucks it's a lot of warnings all the time you're doing different movements with a maybe what you have behind and they beep, 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 pop, pop, pop. and in the end you stop listen to them and that's more dangerous than you, you have a certain level of this is an important warning this is not so that we're working with all the time all the time that was Christopher Hansen Scania's head of styling and industrial design when I gave the opening speech at the Institute of Public Works Engineering Australasia National Fleet Management Conference I quite clearly said that I could not accurately predict the future, but rather addressed how things might change with new technology. The impacts are multi-dimensional and they are about people, not only technology. Truck design is giving us an example of what that looks like when it's working. This is Overdrive across Australia. Although, once associated only with sports cars, Lamborghini has revealed its first SUV to Australia. There is a video on our website. If you haven't got an SUV on your model list, you are missing out on a big market segment. 
It is nearly 16 years since Porsche launched the KN. SUVs now account for 80% of Porsche sales in Australia and they are selling more cars here than Volvo. It has taken many years for other luxury brands to catch up but Lamborghini has finally hit the streets with a bang. The Urus is named after one of the large wild ancestors of domestic cattle and thus continues the brand image under the symbol of Lamborghini, the bull. It's not just a marketing exercise of a bland family shopping car with a name to cash in on the image the sports cars have given the brand. They describe it as the first super SUV and with a high performance V8, impressive brakes and suspension, it is said to be the fastest SUV on the market. It will start to appear on Australian roads in the last quarter of 2018, but they will be with owners who have already ordered their model. If you order one now, you won't see it for about a year. It's hard to make an SUV look good. And now Lamborghini has done better than most. The body of the vehicle, perched on 21 to 23 inch wheels, sits up as an SUV should and is large in appearance while the roof line has a cut down look. The grille and pods at the front, which have several tuning fork shaped bars, produce a striking look. The side hindquarters and the rear of the Urus have some aggressive lines without being over the top. The interior has a feel of luxury. The model they displayed had white leather that, when clean, looks very plush, including the Lamborghini logo pressed into the headrests. There are two screens in the centre which are adequate but not large. Below the screens is a surprising number of switches and levers, which gives a feeling of a jet fighter cockpit. For a vehicle that starts in Australia at $390,000 plus on-road costs, it has some good features, but quite a number are optional. For example, a better sound system and head-up display are options. The Urus is the first Lambo to get a turbocharged engine. The 4-litre V8 twin-turbo unit delivers 478 kilowatts and a massive 850 newton metres of torque. They say they also spent a long time getting the sound of the engine just right. The factory says the Urus accelerates from 0 to 100 kilometres an hour in 3.6 seconds. Carbon ceramic brakes are standard. Handling and comfort are enhanced with adaptive air suspension, active roll stabilisation and four-wheel steering. It comes with an eight-speed automatic gearbox. There has been constant talk by Lamborghini executives about how they want to capture the DNA of the brand in their adventure into the SUV market. From the looks of it, they have succeeded. The Urus has style which is strong enough but not too far out there as some of their sports cars have been. The engine and suspension appear to have the goods to provide sports car performance and the interior looks like it has not compromised on cost. Lamborghini say that 70% of the people who have ordered a Urus SUV are new to the brand, which says it is already doing its job perfectly well. This is Overdrive across Australia.
Well, again, at the end of the program, with a rather skewed look at the world of motoring, Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys joins me on the phone. Hello, Alan. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, David. And we go back to the Geneva Motor Show, but this time with tyres. Alan, do you remember all the stories of early driving adventures where if they had a flat tyre, they would stuff the tyre with grass? Yes, yes, with grass or moss or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. I don't think I'd really want to have driven in that era. I'm old. I'm not necessarily quite <laughs> that old. but <laughs> Indeed. Goodyear seems to be doing the same thing, moss-filled tyres. Are you impressed? Uh, well, it's certainly remarkable in one way or another. Their whole idea here, of course, now is environmental, that if you have moss in the car, it will absorb carbon dioxide and will then give off oxygen. So you're really carrying plants around with you. I wonder if they had to develop a certain moss that could cope with spinning around at an enormous rate. Yeah, well, again, you know, like you know, these things are all just for show they're for motor shows most of it will never see the light of day because it really is just to stun the audience and uh, get people talking about whatever brand it happens to be do you think there's a little bit of goodyear where they say in the city the size of paris they could remove 400 tons of carbon dioxide 4,000 or 3,000 and produce 3,000 tons of oxygen actually that's not much really is it they could do more of course by simply removing the cars <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Of course, perhaps they chose Paris because Trump pulled out of the Paris Accord. You think there might be a little bit of tongue-in-cheek uh, in that, but perhaps not. Well, possibly, or they just fancied a trip to Paris. <laughs> you know, France produces 550 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent a year. And it's been estimated, though, that 48,000 people in France die each year as a result of pollution, air pollution. So perhaps they've got an opportunity. The interesting thing is they say they 3D print the tyres and that they will last longer. That in itself might be the selling point rather than everyone says environmental, but you really want something that's good for me personally. Well, I think in most cases when people come to buy anything, especially when it's automotive, I think most people will uh, buy on price. The interesting thing about 3D printing of that, and Swinburne University is doing some stuff on re, uh, 3D printing spare parts like covers of lights so that you don't have to keep any in store. In fact, if you've got the car and you've got the electronic design of them, anyone could print them, which may mm. take, which I find rather interesting. I'm not sure that we'll get to the thing of tyres, but might they just print the tyre that you want? Well, funnily enough, I've actually seen those 3D printers uh, in action and they're just fascinating to watch. You literally can put anything into them, including moving parts. Stunning stuff. Could totally change our concept of having to store things and transport them to a location versus producing a range of items at the spot. That's right. We will get to another unusual car in a moment, but I just want to talk to you a little bit for a moment. Uh, Donald Trump has said that vehicles up to, I think, about 30 kilometres an hour that are quiet vehicles, that mm. namely electric, will have to have a noise coming out the front of them so that people will know that they're there 
because if they're quiet with our heads buried in our phones, we might not notice it, or if we happen to have a hearing disability. What sort of sounds do you think we ought to be producing from those cars, Ellen? Well, I think if you're wanting to uh, make sure people uh, avoid whatever it is coming towards you, perhaps we could play a Donald Trump speech. That'd certainly keep people away. <laughs> They'd fall asleep or get angry and throw something. That's right. <laughs> I know, I thought they would. I wondered whether you have country and western music, which means your girlfriend's just left, left you and you're feeling sad and not paying attention because you've got tears in your eyes. Well, weren't they trying to keep homeless people away from uh, rough sleeping with, uh, was it Michael Bublé or <laughs> one of those? Yeah, there you go. I've just been talking to Scania. And I said the, to their designer from Sweden was saying how they designed the car and didn't want it to you know, make it look nice. And I said, do you want it to try and remove the beast of the big truck out of it? And he said, well, I don't want it to look warm and fuzzy because if you've got a 60 ton truck coming to you, you don't want to think, oh, it's nice and easy. I've got plenty of time to get in front of it. You've got to be able to say this is a significant truck and it's big and, and it looks big. And it's not friendly, although it'll try to be accommodating. Well, I suppose it depends on how significant the person driving it is. <laughs> you'd, you'd probably get out of the way with most truckies I've ever seen. Well, that gets back to our sounds from the front of the car. If I'm in a bad mood, should it play heavy metal? Well, that would certainly put me in a bad mood if I wasn't beforehand. You are affected by the, the musical score, aren't you, Alan? I think we all are. <laughs> And if it's soft and smooth, that means I will give way to you. That's my intent. Let's go to uh, cars. We've often said here on Overdrive that if we have electric cars or hydrogen-powered cars, which, of course, are electric, only they get their power from a fuel cell, not a battery, that uh, we might be able to change the shape of the car. The Icona Nucleus was on show at the, the Geneva Motor Show. How would you describe it? It's an odd-looking thing. It looks like some sort of malformed marshmallow. Yes. White with bits chopped out of it. And uh, But look, there's no reason why any electric car has to look like a, an internal combustion model. Because we don't have the big engine up the front? Don't need the big engine up the front, and the only thing you need to carry is luggage. You don't need a boot for that. You could, uh, you know, sort of go... Uh, uh, SUV style or you could you could do anything but you don't need the bit at the front and I've wondered whether we change that but I guess market acceptance is the first requirement well I, f I feel uh, and we've discussed this before that that's probably why the Teslas are the shape they are that uh, people wouldn't probably accept a car that didn't have uh, certainly not a luxury car that didn't have a big long swooping bonnet even though there's next to nothing under it Alan, always lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Absolute pleasure, David. Thanks for having me. That's Alan Service, and we were talking about some unusual concepts that have come out of the Geneva Motor Show and the need to have a vehicle making noise, even if the engine and its traditional components are replaced with an electric engine so that it doesn't, then perhaps we have to manufacture a sound. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Alan Zervis and Paul Just for their great help during the program. 
Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.